Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA. I am joined by our colleague, Josh May, today, someone who has been with us in the state of Georgia for about four years. He has encountered tremendous success with his students here, and we are so glad for his participation in GMTA. So without further delay, hello, Josh. Hello, thank you for having me today. I'm so excited to be here to share uh, in this experience. Yeah, we're excited to hear about your stories and experiences. Can you tell us just an introduction, who you are, what you do? Sure, my name is Dr. Joshua May. I'm an assistant professor of voice and the director of opera activities at the Schwab School of Music at Columbus State University. So I studied music as a kid, like many of us did. Uh, I was really interested in playing instruments. So I played trombone, euphonium. Uh, I played a stringed viola instrument to start in orchestra when I was in fourth grade. Uh, I experimented with playing wind instruments as well. I just wanted to make music as much as I could. Uh, I also sang the whole time and was in a children's choir. And I grew up singing uh, in the middle school and high school choir. And uh, I really had a great experience with my private teachers as well as my public school teachers uh, that inspired me to continue my journey in music to college. It was a really exceptional experience that I had uh, growing up, and I wanted to give back to the future of music uh, through my music education and performance. Yeah, so uh, it seems like just from a young age, you you were surrounding yourself with music. What about your family? Did, did they have, do you have professional musicians in your family that kind of nurture that love? I don't have any professional musicians in my family. I am the rogue musician in my family. And my grandmother could play anything by ear on the piano. And so we sat a long time and played on the piano together. And I sang with her at the piano bench when I was a little kid, whenever I would visit uh, Michigan for the summers. My grandmother grew up on a farm band. All of her brothers and sisters played by ear. She also played the accordion, which was very fun. And uh, we had lots of music in our family. Um, Everybody sang, everybody uh, participated in music making, um, but no one really pursued it as a career. Uh, And I was encouraged by everyone to pursue it because it was so fun and they saw the joy that it brought to everybody. Hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about your educational journey? Obviously you have your doctorate, but it's a long road to getting that doctorate. Talk us through that. Sure, so I went to the University of Florida for undergrad. Uh, I knew I wanted to be a doctor of some kind, so I did a dual enrollment where I did uh, pre-med and music, and I said to myself after the first year, I'm not sure what kind of path I want to take yet, uh, but I got a great scholarship to come to college through music. Uh, I had a wonderful voice teacher and choir teacher. Uh, Mr. Corbin, my choir teacher, uh, took us all over the United States on choir tours and encouraged me to sing solo and introduced me to an opera singer who just happened to uh, retire in my little Florida beach town. Uh, So I took lessons with her and she prepared me to get ready for college. Uh, My voice teacher uh, recruited me directly from high school and uh, said, hey, you've got something special and I'd like to be the next part of your journey. So I studied with Ron Berichter at the University of Florida and loved my time in the choirs, the opera workshop, and uh, did lots of singing uh, across the state of Florida and uh, ended up uh, going to the New England Conservatory next, uh, where I met my teacher, Vincent Cole, and I had a great experience there. I actually got two master's degrees, uh, one in performance, and I got to sing with the opera program. I got to sing with uh, regional companies all over Boston and New England. 
Uh, and I actually stayed for a third year to get a vocal pedagogy degree because I started teaching as part of uh, my assistantship. So while I was there, I got to teach non-majors, both undergrad and grad. And I got uh, the opportunity to work with the faculty and learn a little bit more about teaching voice, which was really exciting to me. Uh, I got accepted to a doctoral program at the University of Connecticut. And my next teacher, Connie Rock, really brought out uh, what I was looking for in the next level of my singing, as well as giving me teaching opportunities, which included teaching diction, uh, leading the opera workshop, the opera outreach program, which is something I do here. So it inspired me to see the different levels and ways uh, that I could serve as a director, as a singer, and as an educator. So I really had some great mentors that encouraged me to find new pathways and encouraged me to continue singing and find my love for opera uh, as I continued to do uh, throughout my doctorate. Yeah. Now, as people graduate from their doctorate and enter into professional life, it seems like getting that first job or landing that first full-time job is super challenging. How did you manage to do that? So in the last year of my doctorate, um, my teacher, Connie Rock, really suggested that I start putting myself out there. And we did a full professional materials review, got all my recordings together, got all of my performance materials and schedule together to kind of go out and start applying for jobs. I went on several interviews and I was lucky enough to get a job right out of grad school uh, after I completed my third year of my doctorate. For those that don't know, during your third years, usually when you take all your comps, uh, you start your thesis and you start kind of writing all of these uh, materials and getting lots of finishing things done at the university. Uh, so I did all that and then got a job uh, essentially that summer. I sang a production of Cozy Fantutte, and then I moved to Michigan and started a job at the University of Michigan Flint. Uh, and it was really exciting. I had a great time with my faculty. My family is from Michigan, so it also brought me home to where my family was. Uh, so it was a double win for me that I got to keep singing, making music uh, in a state that I loved, and uh, you know, find my first teaching opportunity to teach studio voice, uh, direct an opera workshop, uh, teach some of the pedagogy classes, diction, things like that, that I really had uh, learned skills for uh, during my time from my master's degree all the way to my doctorate. It was a great yeah. fit. That's fantastic. I love the account of your teacher being so proactive about getting your professional profile together, because sometimes I think for a lot of us, we might be so focused on teaching our students that we forget to prepare them for their career. And it seems like your teacher really set you up for success. She's fantastic. And uh, all of our wonderful all of my wonderful peers have gone out and found wonderful jobs across the nation. Uh, and she's been an inspiration and a support for many of us as we start our first couple of years of teaching and singing professionally and going out into the world. I think it's really important for everyone to find that team member that uh, you know cheers you on, that supports you and is there to listen and help uh, when you are kind of trying to find your footing in your professional career path. Yeah. Now you've already given us an overview of your teachers, but do you have a favorite memory of your teachers that you can share with us? I sure do. When I was in middle school and high school, uh, I loved playing trombone and I loved playing all sorts of brass instruments. So one of my first memories of making music and finding the fun and joy in it was taking private lessons for the first time. Uh, 
I took it with Greg Powers, who is uh, now deceased, uh, but he was a wonderful mentor to me. And he really inspired me to learn uh, what the level of musicianship I could accomplish was and how to really practice what the purpose and joy in music is. And we often did a lot of jazz improvisation together. He played beautiful flugelhorn and trumpet. Uh, so we always had an ending session after we did our etudes and our pieces uh, to go through and just have fun making music through improvisation. So that really stood out with me that I could create music myself. I could be part of the music with a professional musician right now, and that I could continue to strive to be better and better. So every time we met, uh, we had more fun together. So that was a really special time uh, with me uh, that inspired me to become uh, the professional musician I am today. And I did honors bands and um, all sorts of opportunities with the jazz band, the marching band, uh, wind ensemble, symphonic band because of him. And uh, it really helped me become a great musician. And I carry that with me today. Hmm. It seems like perhaps in the process of answering that question, you've answered this next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why are you a musician and teacher? Was there someone who was particularly influential in guiding you to this path? Sure. So I've had lots of wonderful teachers that have been supportive uh, mentors to me. Um, one in particular for my voice area, you know, I'm an opera singer by trade, which is something I love to do. And the person that really inspired me to do that was Ronald Corbin, who is my high school music uh, teacher uh, in the chorus area. Uh, he really instilled in us uh, the importance of uh, being wonderful people, being creative people, uh, being great musicians, and being part of our community. I was part of the Opus Choir, Outstanding People United to Sing. It was an audition choir. We met and had summer school where we prepared all our materials. Uh, we collaborated in uh, dance numbers, chorus numbers, um, smaller ensemble chamber music, solos every year. And really, he was the one that encouraged us to be uh, awesome at all that we do. He was always there to support us. He was always there to encourage us. And he's the person that came and played for my voice teacher at my first lesson and said, this student can do something amazing. You need to help him find his voice. And so I continued to get that support. And still today, even though he's retired, continues to send messages of support, continues to check in on all of us that have been in his choirs and has been an amazing part of our community. I think one thing that I love about hearing you talk about your teachers is you speak about them with such warmth and gratitude. It seems like you have a deep and profound love for them, and they've really deeply impacted your life. And you're really striving to continue that legacy. So that's beautiful. And that's a beautiful reminder to us as teachers, the impact that we can have on the next generation. So do you have any musical or pedagogical projects you're currently working on? Yes, yeah, so this summer I was in Italy. I directed a production of Verdi's Falstaff at the Festival of International Opera in Urbania, Italy. Uh, it was exciting. I had some of my wonderful graduate and undergraduate students come and they participated in opera scenes. Some of them were in the main stage operas and made their international debuts, which is exciting. I'm gonna be going back this summer again and directing a production of Don Giovanni by Mozart, which will be really fun. Uh, in addition to that, uh, I have projects where I'm going to be premiering some new art songs uh, by Griffin Candy, a Michigan-based composer. Um, Jay Batzner is another composer that I'm working with to premiere an art song cycle. So in the next year or so, uh, I'm going to be doing a recital and a tour that brings all of this new music across the nation to share uh, poetry, music, and the beautiful art form of recital to many, uh, even here in the state of Georgia, uh, but across the nation. So I'm excited about those two projects coming up. 
That's great. So it sounds like you do a lot of directing of operas. Now, for someone who's not in the opera world, what all is involved in directing an opera? That's a great question. So directing is a really cool opportunity. And I actually have a directing uh, program here where we can do an independent study with our students for those singers that are interested in learning to becoming directors. So I'm doing an independent study now uh, with one of our tenors who's interested in maybe doing opera workshop directing, curating his own company, and creating directing opportunities and productions for people across the state of Georgia, which is fun. So as a director, you have to learn first the music. So many of the operas that I've sung as a professional tenor often come back to me. I've sung Don Ottavio and Don Giovanni. Uh, so I'm excited to direct this production. But it comes down to learning the music, learning the historical practices, why it was created, how it was first performed, who first performed it. Uh, the different iterations it's seen across the centuries of time, from the traditional all the way to the modern. Uh, in addition, there's casting, uh, there is costuming, lighting design, all of the designing team that come together to create your vision as a director. Uh, then, of course, you get into rehearsals and start meeting the singers, working on acting technique, and kind of bringing your vision to life through all of these different beautiful voices and people. Uh, so it really is a team sport. So I love to consider opera to be like a football game, right? We have to have a plan. We have to have uh, a gameplay. And we also have to have lots of opportunities to go through and be creative on how we all work with our best strengths to create something that's unique, fun, and exciting for our opera audience to enjoy. Hmm, that's fantastic. So it seems like uh, just as a summary, you have more like a bird's eye view of what you want the whole opera to look like and sound like. And you, you're the one that holds the vision. And then you share that with the whole group and then everyone attempts to execute it. And, you know, there's adjustments made as they strive for that vision. Is that correct? Uh -huh. That's a perfect example of that. I love putting together a vision board too for my artistic team so that lighting, costumes, set design, all of them have their own innovative ideas about how to bring it to life, but that we're all on the same page to curate the central theme or moral or idea that's present in the opera and how we can create that unity between the music, the staging, and the storytelling all together. That's my favorite part, both as a singer and as a director, knowing how to create storytelling that really touches people, that connects with people, and inspires them to come back to the opera to see what's coming next in our season, to see what is new and what's exciting about a work that's a couple hundred years old. Why is it still here and why do we still sing it? Because there's something that draws us to it. And there's something about the human voice that's just uh, so amazing to hear it live like that. Mm, wow, that's wonderful. So what aspects of your life and career as a musician have surprised you? How does it measure up to the life you envisioned for yourself as a young musician? Well, uh, music has taken me all over the world, and I am forever grateful to be able to do that as a profession. As a young musician, I thought I wanted to sing. I didn't know really what that would look like. I was told stories by my professors about their careers, and I got to see opera and got to see large choirs and symphonic performances in college. And it was so exciting and fun for me to be part of that. And I said, if I could do just a little bit of this every day for the rest of my life, I would be fulfilled. And I didn't know what that pathway would look like because every singer's path, as every musician knows, it can be anything and everything 
that you do for work. You could be teaching, you could be in the symphony, you could be in the opera hall, you could be quickly running out to do concert series or outreach for children. And I've had experiences doing all of that. And it's been fascinating to see how I've grown as a musician, number one, but also to see the friendships I've made, the artistic collaborations I've been able to do, and how all of those are linked from performance to performance. People I've met that I've sung with, people that I've met that I've worked with as a director, or people that I've worked with uh, within academic fields as well. How we create collaborative projects for dance and music or for uh, art and music. I've done projection stuff, I've done ballet stuff, and everyone has a different idea and a different love and passion. So I love being able to mix those things together to create new art and uh, new experiences for our students and for me professionally. But I've been really amazed to see how that language of music carries over to international arenas. And seeing that parlayed in Italy this summer was amazing. I've gotten to sing in Ireland and Canada and meeting people for the first time and making music together can be really kind of nerve wracking at first, but you understand quickly that everyone's there to do the same job. We all have that similar passion of, I wanna make music, I wanna bring joy to our audiences and I wanna find a way to express myself. So I think for me as a young person, I was always looking for ways that I could express myself and create community. And I've been able to do that as a professional musician since I was 18, which is amazing to me. And I would say for anybody that's out there listening, that if you're trying to make music as a first year undergrad or a first year professor, or you're a seasoned professional, there's more music to make. There's more opportunities. You have to think creatively about what you want to do with them, uh, but find a way to express yourself because it can take you anywhere. Now, I'm a little curious, um, at what point did you realize that opera directing was something that you wanted to focus on or specialize in or a set of skills that you wanted to train yourself to have? Sure. So it found me uh, during my uh, teaching time at my uh, doctorate. So when I was at the University of Connecticut, I got to work with the opera outreach program and I got to stage direct and uh, it was super fun. Up to that point, I'd only been on the other side of the stage as a singer, uh, as a tenor, and I love storytelling and working with my cast on stage and just singing and having a great time. But I found that the storytelling and the way that you can kind of create this unique process of stage directing really was something that spoke to me, um, that came naturally to me, that was fun and innovative. And I loved, again, the sense of community that it brought. Everyone having kind of a pitch in about what they thought their character was, where what we should be doing and how that connected to the central theme and uh, working with the team members uh, created something really unique for me. So I got to do that with the opera workshop at UConn. And then in my first job, I got to lead uh, full productions and outreach productions that saw 10,000 kids in Michigan. So imagine never seeing an opera as a child and getting to see one yearly and participating as a chorus member or a dance member and getting excited to be part of that every year. Looking forward to seeing what children see opera to be as a creative vessel that they can be part of right away as a kid. I mean, I didn't see my first opera probably till I was almost to college. And I got to participate in some operettas and it really sh shook me. And I said, wow, this is so cool. I didn't know that people did this for a living. I kind of want to see what this does. So having that inspiration for me as a director um, really brought out uh, the need for me to explore more of it. And I got out to meet other people at the National Opera Association. Uh, I did some festival work, some fellowships, and got to train with other directors. And uh, it really was inspiring. 
And I wanted to do more and more of it. And I'm grateful that my job here allows me to do that uh, across our community with opera outreach, uh, but also here at the main stage where I get to work with my orchestra colleagues, my theater colleagues, my dance colleagues, and create something really unique for our students to do every year. Uh, and that can be modern opera all the way to uh, Baroque opera. So we've had different experiences uh, every year here at Schwab, uh, which is one of the most fun parts uh, because it challenges me as both a musician, but also as a stage director. And it hits both of my uh, spots in my heart that I love to make music and uh, create storytelling. So it's pretty great. Yeah, I love this account of outreach and reaching children with opera because, you know, you talked about not seeing your first opera until you were almost in college. I was thinking, when was the first time I saw my first opera? I think I was in college in a music history lecture because then I was thinking, like, why is that? You know, I obviously grew up in music lessons and in the world of music. But, you know, the town that I grew up in, we had a symphony, but we didn't have an opera group or an opera program. And so there was no way to access that. So I love that you're introducing opera to children at such a young age. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's really exciting. I love the idea that most of us meet opera through cartoons as kids. And we think it's really fun, but we forget about it until we're adults and go, hey, that brings back so much joy. So I've worked with a lot of companies uh, that do nonprofit work. Uh, one specifically in Kansas called Mosey Incorporated. It's music on site. And it, its mission is music for everyone and opera for all. So that we go out and bring opera to the community and it's free. We get training and opportunities for students to learn how to be on stage, how to be prepared and execute uh, towards young artist programs and further training. Uh, but it's, it's really a mission, I think, for me as an educator and as a musician that everyone should be exposed to it because it really brings out so much uh, joy, so much fun and so much investigation in children to go, what is that? I'd like to explore more of it. That's pretty cool. Mm. So, Josh, it seems like you've reached what everyone dreams of when they enter into college as a music major. You have a full time job. You're uh, traveling the world performing. You're directing operas. So you're doing all of these cool things. What's next for you? What are your plans for the near future, the next two to five years? Well, I, I am blessed and grateful that uh, I have been able to have the career that I've had, both as an educator, a singer, uh, and as a director. Uh, it's been uh, amazing to experience, and I want to impart that opportunity and knowledge uh, to the next generation of performers. So I love working with uh, young artist festivals. I love working with my students here at Schwab uh, and going out and doing masterclass activities across the U.S. to inspire and help the next generation find their footing and find their way in their path towards what they want to do. Those paths are ever-changing. Um, we are experiencing uh, innovative operas uh, virtually. Um, we're experiencing live innovative stuff just on site where opera is changing and shifting and traditional opera still. So in the next uh, two to five years, I'd love to be part of that. Uh, and I am doing that through the National Opera Association uh, where we're working on uh, curating new works, we're working on uh, creating uh, new platforms of education and information uh, to share and disseminate across the world, which is awesome. Nats also does this. Uh, Georgia Nats is an inspiration uh, because we get an opportunity for students to learn from master clinicians coming into our wonderful state and singing for them, uh, as well as uh, going out for myself and continuing to sing on the stage and direct uh, across the world. 
so my goal for myself as I continue forward is to continue uh, to make music, to find creative projects to join up with and uh, to create innovation in what we do, to see the next uh, change of opera as an art form and watch it blossom and grow. I want to be part of that. Hmm. So you just talked about the future of you, your future. What about the future for classical music? Is there a future for classical music and a role for classical music in the 21st century? That's a really uh, big and great question. I think that classical music will be ever present for us, but we do have to think about how we're consuming it, how we're bringing it to new audiences. So for me, I talked about the outreach program that we do here. I think it's important that kids get involved with classical music and understand the value of it, the fun of it, and the exhilaration that they can have performing in it. I think that's first and foremost the way that we're going to keep uh, classical music being part of uh, the zeitgeist and fun of our everyday lives. Uh, I also think that we have to think about curating classical music concerts in new innovative ways to experience it in dinner theater or cocktail environment or uh, different places. We're going to the Columbus Botanical Gardens with our guitar and voice concert to bring people out to a new place to experience classical music in a new setting so that they can both enjoy the beauty of the garden as well as the ambiance of the music and take them out of their everyday lives. That's what music does for me. It's a transcendent place that I get to go somewhere and enjoy what classical music has to offer. For me as an opera singer, I get to experience being someone else on stage for three to four hours, which is super fun. And I get to make music and play uh, with the actors on stage and create a new story every night. So that sense of improvisation that I got from being uh, a brass player as a kid is now present in my acting life as a singer. I love that sense of it's new every time. It's going to change. And live theater really helps us feel, see and learn about who we are. And classical music also helps us figure out what's going on inside of me as I'm watching this and seeing the parallels between the characters and activities. So I think using virtual productions, using things like Zoom, using things that we had to do during the pandemic to create new uh, avant-garde opera is something that's going to continue forward. And I think we can see it also in the play of interactive opera. So I'm working with some colleagues uh, that we're going to actually be doing uh, sensory deprivation opera essentially so you'll be having vr opera so you can actually be part of the set and you can actually see and feel and choose what action is going to happen in the next part of the story so you can learn about the characters you can be part of the musical exploration and you can join the opera stage as an audience member in a vr environment so that's something that i'm excited about that's a little mind-blowing and a new concept to me so uh, can you walk us through how do you even create a virtual reality opera? Would you, I mean, you're saying that the person can select the outcome. So would you have to record various outcomes? If you pick A, then this happens, and then you have to record that happening. Is that correct? That's correct. So uh, if you remember Choose Your Own Adventure books, uh, as a kid, we're going to do choose your own adventure operas, and we can take those and record. Here's A, B, and C options. So if you choose to go with the character and do A, 
this story will unfold. If you choose C, this story will unfold. So we can record and create that content and it can be uh, done with uh, beautiful artistic engineers uh, that curate this beautiful space for us to participate in. Uh, but I see that as part of an experience at maybe a museum or an uh, art installation or a special event uh, that hopefully will one day come back to people's homes and participate in a social media way and participate in kind of how we digest audio, video content in our everyday lives uh, on our cell phones, as well as on our computers and our screens. So we can continue to bring opera and bring music into new places and new spaces that keep engaged audiences uh, throughout our lifetime. So that's one thing that I think will be really cool and innovative. And I'm excited to experiment with some of my uh, team members and create some new content and see where it goes. Does is there a virtual reality opera right now in existence in the world, or are you part of the pioneer of this? Uh, I think we're the pioneers of this. Um, there's been some uh, experience of like gameplay opera. Um, there's been some video game opera. So I think it's going to be this kind of new content that's evolving for us uh, as we start to play with this idea of curating, coding, music, and opera. I've done a lot of work in uh, projections and live innovative kind of medium space, like live in the room to make it immersive. I did a Paleos, a Debussy opera that had innovative um, sound, audio, video that the audience actually sat on stage with us and experienced the running water through uh, the forest that experienced the, the visual changes and experienced um, the live action of the music uh, as though they were part of the storybook itself. And so I thought this would be a cool jump and I, I had some friends say, I'd love to do something like this. Is that possible? And I said, I think so. They created some other VR spaces. And I said, an opera, I think, would be a really great vehicle for people to explore what it's like to be on the set, to be immersed in the opera, meet the characters, interact and hear the music and get excited about what the next jump would be. That's so like right. video game culture, I think it can be kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, just listening to you describe it and then imagining it in my head, I'm starting to get like literal goosebumps on my arms just thinking of what that experience would be like. So I am going to keep my eyes out for this project. It <laughs> sounds completely fascinating. So now, now that you have shared your vision and your successes, do you have any advice for young musical professionals and teachers as they embark on their careers and enter professional life? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I've gotten great support from my mentors, as I'm sure you've heard me talk about. I think that it's really important for first-year teachers, for students entering into college, and uh, for those that continue onward uh, in the profession of music, to find people that support you, to find people you love to make music with, and to find a team of people that will be honest with you, that will share your successes, that will help you build back from failures, and will help continue to push you beyond what you think you can do because those people will be the people that help guide you across the timeline of your life. So I think having mentors uh, in your instrument, having mentors in your education background, having mentors at your first school, having mentors uh, in your first professional community involvements, right? Finding those people that have had shared experiences and asking them for their opinions, asking them what would be successful for you, asking them as a sounding board for some advice. I think a lot of us often go into teaching or go into the professional arena thinking, wow, I'm not sure what to do next. I don't want to seem like I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm just going to stay and kind of 
not make waves. I'd rather ask me a hundred questions and let's see what we can throw at the dartboard to figure out what will stick and what will be the best fit for you coming up and why that might work. Because there's so much professional opportunity out there to continue your trajectory in music. And often I see the first couple steps be really critical for people entering the profession and they feel like they don't have community or they don't have uh, enough opportunities because they just don't know how to do that yet. And I found people that helped me learn how to do that. And I want to continue to be one of those people that reaches out to new members at uh, events, that reaches out and helps support young students and continues to pull people up as you come up through the pipeline of, hey, you can do it and cheer everybody on. Hmm. So for our very last question, it's very similar, but slightly nuanced. What advice would you give to young pre-collegiate musicians about a life with music? So uh, I have a private high school studio here as well. I teach for the Shrill Preparatory Division, and I meet wonderful young people that are so excited about music, opera, musical theater, singing in choirs, and just want it to be part of their lives. So I tell everyone, no matter what you do next, after you get uh, out of high school and you want to go to college, keep making music. That could be singing at your church. That could be playing recitals. That could be participating in a wind ensemble in a community band. That could be singing at the Met. That could be anything that your dream of what you want to do is to strive forward towards it. But make music. So if you decide along the way that a music major is not for you, great. If you decide that science is not for you and you jump to music, great. Do what you love and find your passion every day. And you should wake up excited to do what you're going to do that day. And if you're not waking up excited to do it, check in with yourself and see if that's really the path for you. Because I think a lot of us are inspired in high school specifically by our teachers in the arts and seeing their lives and seeing what they do with their students every day. So I wanna find a way for myself and for my students uh, and their parents to know that the, the pathway forward is anything you could choose, but you have to wake up excited every day to do it. Because at the end of the day, you're the one in the practice room, you're the one in the choir, you're the one uh, on stage as a soloist with a 65-piece orchestra, and you have to wake up excited, ready to go and do it. So I challenge everyone, make music every day, no matter what it is. It could be the biggest thing or the smallest thing, but if it makes you happy, keep doing it. Well, Josh, this has been a lot of fun. It's been fun for me to hear your stories and to hear your successes and to hear your vision for the future. I can hear from your account of your teacher and your students that you're obviously, the phrase that comes to mind um, about this conversation is you are obviously a community builder. You build up the community of young musicians as well as a deep love and appreciation for those who came before you and always giving thanks for that and showing gratitude. So thank you for that attitude and for demonstrating that and sharing that love with us. This has been a really wonderful conversation and eye-opening for me in more ways than one, and I'm sure it will be for our listeners. So I'm really excited for everyone to hear what it is that you have shared with me today. With that, I wish you happy teaching and happy students.